All right, welcome. If you're just joining us online, bless you. Uh, Community Church here in Spruce Grove. It's so great to be together once again. You know, every time that we gather, we have an opportunity. Uh, I, I, I love this picture. When David's mighty men, you know, they were always facing dire consequences, dire circumstances. They're surrounded by the Philistines, the Philistine garrisons, but there's one one man, one, one, of his, one of his warriors, he plants himself in the field of lentils. And he just puts his feet down and he basically decides, I'm, I'm guarding this ground. I'm holding this ground. I'm keeping this ground. And that, that resolute, focused vision is a part of what we're doing. We're planted here in Spruce Grove. And you might be online and you might be planted somewhere else, but God plants us for the purpose of having us take the land. You know, when he first said to Adam and Eve, he says, have dominion, have dominion over the earth. And so we are here to to steward that ownership and to give an opportunity for our city to come into the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That when we're worshiping, we are creating an opening that will create opportunity for others to see things that they've never seen before. Even today, as we come in and worship, there's others who may not be able to enter the presence of God. They may not know how. They may be coming in with witchcraft on their back and depression and hopelessness, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord can give them an opportunity to see something they've never seen before. So let's do what the Apostle John did on the Lord's Day. Let's enter the Spirit. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Let's enter this morning. Father, we say thank you for the opportunity to enter your presence by the new and living way, by your blood. Let's worship him. There's a moment in front of us right now. The words we're singing, we actually have the ability to come right now to the throne room and begin to declare things over our land, over our kids, over situations. Right now, there is an authority. Right now, there is a favor. You know, and Tyson's got something on his heart, but I feel right now, if God has spoken something into your heart to declare, right, I want you to actually come and pray it on the mic here. So Tyson's going to go first, but take a bit of a risk. This is that moment. Well, we're actually for fighting for something bigger than us, right? And there is favor right now. Go ahead. So I went to the, the Eskimos football game last night, and we're coming back on the LRT. And so there was this person uh, who was kind of, there was a situation where they were on something and whatever, and there was kind of loud and whatever. Anyways, it felt really awkward, and I didn't really want to do anything about it. And then this morning, God just brought that up. And not as a condemnation, but he's just like, I put you in that situation to bring alignment. I was put there to, to change this scenario, to, to just bring alignment and God into that scenario. And so I just felt this morning as we're praying that there's situations that are going on with us, with other people, that God just wants to bring alignment. Because just as Ben was singing, this is who he say you are. God says, I am a child of God. I was created in his image and his likeness. So just 
So, Father God, in whatever situation is here this morning, we bring alignment, God, whether it's relationships, whether it's healings and miracles, whether it's finance, God, whether it's people just struggling to believe or struggling to get through the day, God. As sons and daughters of God, we bring alignment to that scenario, God. These giants do not, they fall at the feet of Jesus. They fall at the feet of the sons and daughters of God. So we bring alignment in the name of Jesus. So just just as we're praying this, just think of those scenarios. Think of those giants in your life that are going to fall today in Jesus' name. Because we are who he says we are. We bring alignment in Jesus' name. We bring alignment to the throne room. We bring the kingdom of God down from heaven this morning in Jesus' name. Let your kingdom come, Jesus. Bring your kingdom down now, Father. Bring the alignment of your kingdom, the glory and the righteousness of your kingdom down now. In whatever situation, whatever the giant is, whatever it is, fall now in the name of Jesus. Fall now in the name of Jesus. I just want to add to that word that's been searing in my spirit here. But in in Psalm 16, 3, it says, um, As for the saints in the land, this is the Lord speaking, You are my excellent ones in whom I take great delight. And the living translation says, As for the saints in the land, you are my heroes. And I am really proud of you. So he says, we are the excellent heroes of the Lord in the land on this earth. And we go out and heroes save those who need saving. Amen. Amen. You want me to carry on? Boy, that's dangerous. But listen, there's the, the heroes. God looks at you and he says, you're my hero. You're my excellent ones. And I have confidence in you. And I'm sending you out upon this earth to save those who need saving, to heal those who need healing, to feed those who are hungry. And he says, I'm calling you out and I am with you. I am with you because I take my delight in you and in what you do, in what you say, in who you are. You are my children. You are my children. And he says, I'm so proud of you. I boast on you. I boast on you. Wow. That's who we are, and we see ourselves. You're, you're God's hero. We say he's ours, but God says, no, you're mine. Amen. Father God, today I want to come against mental attacks. I want to come against the voices in your head that say you're not enough. I declare that depression ends today for people that you come and you protect their minds and when the attacks come, it just bounces off. Oh God, I pray, oh God, I pray that you protect people's minds today. God, I pray that when the attacks come, the people have the understanding to know what to do and that they know the truth, that the attacks are lies and that they know who they really are and that who they really are in you is a, fa- or is a daughter and a son. The Lord says that your prayers are going to begin to linger in the air longer. So as you go about your business, as you go through the city, when you're shopping, pray, declare, even if it's under your breath, because it's going to hover in the air longer. And people are going to begin to walk into the prayers hovering in the air. Change is beginning to erupt. Wherever you go, pray. 
Wherever you go, listen to the Lord and speak what he's speaking because it's going to linger in the air, in the supermarket, in the school, on your job site, in the office. Fill the air and it's going to hover. It's going to hover. It's going to hover. And people who need God are going to walk into your prayers and it's going to settle on them. Pray at all times. Pray wherever you go. Pray in all circumstances. Pray whoever you're with. Pray daytime, nighttime. Pray. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. This is for everybody. This is for everybody. This is who you are. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn to provide for those who mourn in Zion to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes festive oil instead of mourning and splendid clothes instead of despair and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him you ready they will rebuild the ancient ruins They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities. They will renew the ruined cities in devastations of many generations. I'm going to read that again. They will renew the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers will stand and feed your flocks, and foreigners will be your plowmen and vine dressers. This is who you are. This is who you are and whose God has called you to be. And as we've been talking about authority, I think of a kid tying their shoe. None of you think about tying your shoe because you have taken authority over those shoelaces. And there's actually spiritual things that God is planting today for you to take authority over. And so this morning, as we sing this, as we sing this, this is who you are, declare in your life the authority that God's already placed there. It may have been something you've done once, but God actually is telling you to do it again and again and again and again. And as you do it again and again and fail and mess up, but keep trying, tying those shoelaces will become second nature. And so we're going to keep singing. Keep Go, go, Joel, go. This is who you are. So Caleb had a moment. I think we've all had. Anybody had one of those moments where you just missed it? You had an opportunity, right? And it was right in front of you. You felt the conviction of the Lord. He spoke something to you. And you missed it. Whether it was because of fear, whatever it is that came in. Well, he had one of these moments. And right now he wants to pray for somebody that he missed a moment. And I feel like right now, as he does this, he's going to share a little bit about it, and then he's going to pray into it. But I feel like right now, you can actually recall some of those missed moments. And I'm going to ask you right now, for those missed moments, those people, I remember those times. I remember those people. It doesn't matter if it was in Safeway or wherever it was. I remember the missed moments. Well, guess what? We can actually pray into those things right now. 
and God can do something. Amen? Okay, so we were at a young adults night um, with all of my brothers, and um, one of my brothers and I went to the bathroom, and in the bathroom, I had thought there was like two or three people in the stalls. It actually turns out there was only one person, and that one person was talking to himself in three different people, and it was heavy. You could like feel that it was just dark in that room, and as we finished, as I was doing my business, I thought I should, you know, we should pray for this guy, we should release these demons, we should, like, break him free of it, but I was too scared of what my brother might think of me, (laughs) and so (laughs) I finished, I went outside, I held the door open, and, and then my brother comes out, but as he was washing his hands, the man comes out of the bathroom, and he said he could see he was just off, his walking was off, his posture was off and he was just messed up and we walk out of the bathroom and we're talking about it a little bit on the way back to like where we were and uh, and he just had like so many demons in him and now I feel bad that I didn't pray for him because now he's still stuck and (laughs) okay so here it is right the moments we missed Right, He's going to pray for this individual, but I'm going to ask you just to declare over those moments, those people. I can think of a few right now for myself, right, where I found a way to convince myself I didn't need to do that, right? But maybe in that moment, I was the vessel, and that's all this is. It's nothing to feel bad about. It's something to learn about, right? And as believers, we're going to learn to actually do what that song talked about. We're going to have faith in those moments to honor the Lord. So as he prays, just begin to pray for that moment that maybe you missed. Lord, I pray for that gentleman in the washroom. I pray that the demons inside him would go away and they'd disappear. And they'd be cast out. They would completely be gone and he'd be free of all the demons that are holding him right now. And that they would be cast out and he would be healed, he'd be safe. And he can continue living in your love and walking in your love. And that he would come to know you. So right now, Lord, we lift up this moment, but we lift up all these moments that are represented here in this room right now, Father. And right now, we may have missed a moment, but it's not too late. So, Father, whatever is on our heart, whatever's on our mind right now, God, we pray for your miracle. We pray for your healing. We pray for your salvation. We pray for your transformation. We pray for an encounter for those individuals, for those people that now, Father God, whether they're at home, in bed, wherever they are, God, that the Holy Spirit would woo them, speak to them, minister to them, God. And, Father, give us the boldness now to do what that song said, to trust you, to obey you, to honor you, to declare your word, whether it's in church or on the streets, God. We choose to say yes to you in Jesus' name. We, we are in the middle of a battle. And every day when you're out there in the world, when you're flying a plane, where you're, you're in that lunchroom, when you're in the line, at the grocery store, wherever you are, influence is being exerted on that moment. Influence is always being exerted on every moment. And I, I, suddenly as we were standing here, I remember this preacher talking about being in a scenario where somebody was cursing and who's using the Lord's name in vain. 
And uh, of course, you know, it's not our business. We don't. But he said, he began to say out loud, hey, you might want to curse him, but I want to bless him. I, I claim equal time. Praise you, Jesus. And he's, he starts, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Your name is blessed. And he starts to praise the name of the Lord because he understood that when the voice is speaking, influence is being exerted in that moment. And he usually were intimidated into silence. Like, you know, well, it's not the place for spiritual talk. Are you kidding? Every time that cursing is happening, it is spiritual talk. There's no such thing as a secular moment. Every moment is a moment where either God is glorified or another spirit is being lifted up. And the enemy understands this. This is why unsaved people continuously release a litany of curses. People are driving around. They're looking at others. They're, they're forming judgments. They're cursing. They, people are driving. Something happens and they're, you, you know, and all of the belittling language comes out of their mouth. Our whole lives we've been surrounded by, you are worthless, you're an idiot, you're stupid, don't be so pig-headed, and on and on and on it goes. Do, do you think there's a reason why the spirit of this world motivates people to continuously le- release words like that? Because dominion is being shaped in those moments. It's time for us to rise up and to say, I own this moment. I say in the name of Jesus, every place I put my foot down, I'm going to own this. Jesus, you are Lord. And the enemy is trying continuously to keep us from speaking. What we're learning here is how to have dominion, how to speak words that, that release the dominion of heaven in this moment. If we're going to expand the kingdom out there, we have to do it here. But we don't stop here. We start to boldly do it out there. Father, I pray you'd give us a new paradigm, a new revelation about expanding the kingdom. That, Father, every moment of every day, it's an opportunity to release something into the realm of the earth. God, we want to be your voice. We want to be your hands and your feet. We want to release the potential that is in those who haven't yet seen your face, God. And we say that the banners of the earth belong to the Lord. We say that the bandwidth of every man, woman, and child on the earth belongs to Jesus Christ. And everywhere where he does not own it, it's being stolen. We say in Jesus' name, you are the possession of the Lord. We say to Spruce Grove, you are the possession of the Lord. Spruce Grove, he is coming for his inheritance. And he will have his reward. At the end of the day, he will have his reward. I, I believe that right now God is saying, listen, you have a destiny because I am going to have it all. And for me to have it all, you need to take your place. Come on, let's, 
Let's begin to declare. There's a merging of two ideas. Because it's not just him who will have it all. He's here to recruit co-heirs. He's here asking a question. How much of my inheritance do you want to share in? Ten cities. Five cities. One city. I'm offering a seat at the table of dominion. I'm offering an opportunity for you to realize what I put in you, what destiny you carry, and what authority is already in your spirit, what is already at work inside of you. I'm giving you an opportunity to discover that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. So, Father, we say, Lord, open our eyes to see the power at work inside of us. (laughs) I keep seeing this image over and over and over. There's coming a time when, like Peter, as he walked through the streets of Jerusalem and his shadow fell on somebody, they were healed. I see... Us, like Jesus, walking into subways and into places in the city where all of a sudden what we're seeing is not just angry drivers, but they're actually demonic manifestations because the light you carry is stirring the darkness. But it's not enough to just stir the darkness. I am moving you into a place of dominion. Where all of a sudden in your presence, certain kinds of thinking just cannot happen any longer. And people were required either to come into alignment or to flee. So, Father, we say in Jesus' name, may we be those excellent ones that you have called us to be. I love that passage of Scripture from Isaiah that Kim shared. He calls us his heroes, his excellent ones. Wow. Father, we want to live up to that. We say, in Jesus' name, make it so. Amen. All right, so good to be here. How's it going? Well, I I could go any one of six directions this morning. But I think I'm going to go on the one that I was planning on going. And uh, we'll see see how it goes. But uh, he will have dominion. But... There's a way that he's going to do that. He's going to do that by raising up a people that he calls excellent ones. He, he, is, he is calling for us to rise into our destiny. Father, I pray right today, God, that you give us a glimpse of our destiny. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open up our eyes that we'll see what's possible. Father, I pray, God, that you would give us a glimpse of the authority that is uh, within our reach, Father, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. You know, most of you here are Christians. That's what I understand. All right, give or take. (laughs) 
But how many of you notice that sometimes you're, you don't function quite on the tier? You know, you got ups and downs, highs and lows. And so in this journey, God is actually trying to do something to eliminate the lows and increase the highs. You know, just like a coach on your hockey team. Like, you know, players have good games and bad games. But what the coach is trying to do is I want to lessen the number of bad games you have and to increase the number of good games you have. And right now, if you don't understand how this works, you think that it's magical. I think we talked about this a little while few weeks back, right, with the magic coffee table. You know, sometimes we think it's magical. Well, I don't know why I have a good week and why I have a bad week. I don't know why I have a good game and why I have a bad game. Well, actually, there is always cause and effect. There's real reasons why that's happening. It's never accidental. It's never outside of the realm of your authority. You just may not know what triggers are there. And the truth is, every time you step into a room, you have an opportunity to bring something of heaven, that there are triggers there in the room that cause you to either ascend into that or not. And, uh, and, and if you understood what was, what was happening, you could succeed. I remember thinking, uh, watching the Oilers, and I thought, how odd that in the Gretzky years, I mean, anybody remember those years? How is it that Edmonton Oilers ended up with so many amazing players? Well, they weren't amazing to start with. What, what happened was you had a guy who had all kinds of keys. Not only was he himself talented, but he knew how to engage in certain ways. And one of the things he used to say about Wayne Gretzky is, is he, he drove everybody to another level. That when he practiced... It, there was never any slow skating when he practiced. I mean, he, from the time he stepped on the ice to the time he was done, he gave 150%. I know it's not possible, but it's a good language that we use to, you know, represent what's possible and then beyond. Yeah. Right? But so what happened is he created a culture of, of reaching the highest capacity that you could. And all of a sudden, these mediocre players became excellent players, and excellent players be, be, became greats. I mean, became legends. And so you've got five or six names that come out of that era that really are at the top of NHL history because one man knew the triggers. He knew what it caused, what were the causes of success. That actually you don't have to have a... Well, you know, you win some, lose some. No! <laughs> you don't have to lose some. You may lose some, but you don't have to lose some. That inevitability of, well, you know, it, it's, it doesn't have to be there. So, well, what, what does this have to do with us? We're called to be excellent ones. We're called to be heroes. We're called to be overcomers. You know, and a few weeks ago, we had my friend Barry Miracle here, and his whole ministry... Is, is getting you to believe that, yeah. right? Getting you to believe what's possible. And, uh, and, of course, there's all kinds of things involved in that. There are all legitimate things you ought to do, ought not to do, but his whole, the whole thing you felt around him was promise, the promise of that. And this is part of what our journey is, is entering into the promise of that. But 
On the other hand, sometimes it's not enough to just know what I can be. I need to find out why I'm not that. You know, I, I love this passage in uh, Ephesians that talks about us being seated in heavenly places. And, you know, sometimes I, I run into Christians, you know, not so much these days, but uh, I remember the days of the word of faith where everybody would, would sort of make these awesome declarations about what they were. And yet, when you're around them, the reality wasn't always... The same as the declaration. And it's great to aspire to something. It was great. But the question then becomes like, you know, when God is saying that you're seated in heavenly places, uh, you know, it's not an excuse for not being there. Like when you're in depression and you're hopelessness and you're inactive and you disappear from the, the, the church for weeks and weeks at a time because you're you're caught up in other things. You may continue to say, I'm seated in heavenly places, places, but all the evidence is there to the contrary. You're actually under stuff. And so when he says we are seated in heavenly places, it's a reality for some, but a hope for others. But it's always legally available. The question is, are you entering into that sphere of dominion? When you go into a room and there's people there and they seem stronger or cooler than you and, and usually you, you, know, you like to hum Christian songs under your breath, uh, now all of a sudden you don't because the arenas, the area, the environment is not safe. Are you exercising dominion or are you coming under? Right? When somebody's cursing and swearing, you know, do, do, you, do you, well, we'll give them that room. No, we don't give them that room. Like being seated in heavenly places, is, it, it means being aware of what's possible, that you can shift any moment. Now, the fact that you can't is not a condemnation, but the, the fact that if you're not asking, that's a problem. You're asking God, how can I enter in here? This has been a big part of my journey because I, I found that there are moments when I can enter in who I am. I can be fully me. You know, I can release my gifts, I can release my anointing, I can walk in a certain level of authority, and then other times where I just, you know, I get shut down. And so my question is, man, why is it whenever, whenever I'm in this environment, I feel shut down? What is it about this environment that keeps me from rising to who I am? How can I be what I know I'm supposed to be here and there? Like, and, and first, of course, you think, well, it's because these people are not letting me. And eventually God says, yeah, no, no, no. It's not up to anybody else. It's, a, it's, it's the question is, if there is intimidation in the room, why is it triggering you? And so God has a plan to bring you out of that. In the same way, and I shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again. Because, and this is just a few years ago, there was this fellow that, that whenever he was around, I, I felt him not liking me. And so I, I in return, I didn't like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, all right, you know, that's the way you want, you want to be. Anyway, but I, I was trying not to, and I, of course, but I felt like he was belittling me because I could feel his rejection of me. I, I could feel his constant disapproval. And, uh, and so when I went around him, I would hug everybody and just kind of shake his hand. 
<laughs> Everybody's playing scenarios in their heads like, hmm. Now I'm going to watch and see if Mark hugs everybody but me. <laughs> Sometimes it's just accidental, right? But uh, anyway, so I, uh, uh, I, I remember the Lord saying, well, you know, he was challenging me with this. He was, it's like one of those things where it's happening all the time, but the Lord starts saying, hey, are you noticing this? Are, are you noticing how you're not... Loving and outgoing and affirming to this person? Yeah, but they don't like me. And, and this is what the Lord said, but why do you obey it? Why do you obey that? That, that arms, that he's pushing you away and you feel that. You don't feel accepted. So what? You only, you only be yourself when the carpet is rolled out? You only be yourself when people have gone out of their way to tell you you're welcome? Like, like is it, are you that fragile, Mark, that, that you need to, everybody to make a way for you? You said you wanted to be a way maker. You sing it all the time, right? You, you want to be the greatest. You want to have influence. You want to expand the kingdom. So come on, do it. That's what he's saying to me. And he says that to me all the time. So, you know, when I say that to you, you're in good company. Because this is the essence of what God wants us to be. He wants us to be waymakers. He wants us to own the moments, but not through, not because of spite, not because of egotism, but because of love. Because there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way leads to destruction. And what we're trying to do is deliver people from their own ways and bring them into his ways. But here's the problem. If I'm not completely walking in his ways, how can I expect others to? And so the Lord made it very, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to celebrate this guy. I needed to embrace him. I needed to, you know, his, his mystical, uh, illusionary arms out, you know, stay back. I needed to swipe that aside and just come in and bless him. So I just started doing that. I just started celebrating him. I started being happy when he was there. I started enjoying him. I started thinking about him in positive ways that his gifting was affecting others. I started to esteem him. And at first it was a sacrifice to go in and hug him because I felt like he didn't want me to hug him. But again, it's not about me feeling comfortable. Right? It's not about me making sure others are making me feel a certain way before I do what I should be doing as the Christian. Right? Somebody's got to be the adult in the room. And here's the thing. You have the ability to do that way more than you know. You actually have... And here's the thing. If you could line up your whole life and all the moments you obey your insecurity, all the moments you obey your shame, all the moments you obey, you know, your fears, all the moments, and conversely, all the times that you don't, you could lay out your actual authority on a grid. So it was clear to me what was happening. I knew what was going on. But then the question is for us as we're going along, what is it that causes these triggers to immobilize me? What is it that makes me passive? What is it that makes me not care? What is it that, that makes me back off from something I know I should do? And, and when you, of course, we get around people, certain people, they're, they're bold, they're strong, like that guy who says, you know, on an airplane, he, you know, if you're going to curse them, I'm going to bless them. 
<laughs> and he starts doing it out loud. Like, and he told the guy exactly what he was going to do. You know, you may, may, may or may not do that on a regular basis. But where do you get that kind of boldness? Where do you going to get that sense of responsibility that you need to own this moment that it's important for you to exercise dominion because this is what we're called to. We are called to rule and reign with him. And what we do now determines what we do later. Ruling and reigning is not something you come into just after you die. It's something you perfect on earth and then continue to walk in through eternity because you did it while you were on earth. You know, this idea of... of, uh, Metrons of authority in eternity that we didn't walk out here is not not correct. Faithfulness here is the foundation for that. So let me talk about some of the. I got fifteen minutes or less, so I'm going to try. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to try and be quick. Uh, I was I was thinking this morning about Lucifer because. When I'm thinking about the kingdom of God, when I'm thinking about the kind of alignment that's happening, there is this, uh, there's this equivalency where, where the, if I am doing the things that Jesus did, you know, I, whether I have that little thing on says WW, what would JD, yeah, what WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right? The question is, am I doing what, would, what Jesus would do, or are there other things happening in my life? And so when I look at Lucifer, I see a condensed version of the kingdom of darkness. And it's always my goal then to make sure I'm not doing that. Well, is that fair? I mean, I think if we're going to manifest the kingdom of God, the things that are in Lucifer, the things that he aspired to, the things that he wanted, his boasts, his pride, his, his rebellion, we don't want to do that. Right? Am I, am I, okay. Pretend we're talking to each other. This is what it says in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Wow. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. What you have here, the very core of the rebellion of the kingdom of darkness, is you had covetous desire. Covetous desire. Where Lucifer wanted something that he didn't deserve, that God had not given him, that was not his. And that desire for that thing led him into, it was started with desire. And that's important to understand, right? John, is it James? James talks about when sin is conceived through desire. Desire conceives and brings forth sin, which brings forth death. So it's always organic. Desire nurtures something and then brings it to birth, brings activity to birth. 
And so uh, whenever evil things happen or wrong things happen in our life, it's because we set our hearts on it. We set, we desired something. Lucifer desired something that wasn't his. We don't know how long it went, but he had a significant place in heaven. And if you go to Ezekiel, you see the scripture where it talks about how God created him as a beautiful being. He created him as this a musical instrument. He had tablets. He had, he had something inside of him that when he released the wind of God through him, these amazing sounds of worship. He, he was part of the orchestration of the worship of God. He was a covering cherub. Did you know that? That means he wasn't an archangel. He was a covering cherub. He was a cherub. You know what a cherub is? Kind of like cherubim, seraphim. Lucifer was a cherub who covered the throne of God. I mean, like, he's as close to God as you could be. He's right there, but it wasn't enough for him. It wasn't enough for him. It's like, man, I, he started to resent an eye roll at God's dominion. See, can you imagine Lucifer covering, orchestrating the worship, and yet at the same time he's holding back? I wonder if that affected the atmosphere of heaven. Might have, right? So, so what you have here is you have this selfish ambition. And that's a word that's all throughout the Bible. Selfish ambition. Father, I pray today, God, that you would put your finger on, Lord, uh, the ambition that comes out of covetousness. The ambition that comes out of us beholding what somebody else has and believing ourselves to be a more perfect candidate for that thing. That suddenly we start to diminish and want to disqualify others who have that thing, believing ourselves to be more qualified. Uh, Listen, I'm not saying anything here that I haven't done. And, I, and I, try to, I try to use myself as the main example. But I tell you, I can tell you again and again, I remember to my shame being a Bible college student and going to a church where there was a, about a thousand people in this church. You know, it was a big service, one of three services that morning. And there was a pastor up there. And oddly enough, he was doing a lot of the things that I do now. His style, his delivery, it's actually a lot of, of what I do up here. But I remember thinking of him, I remember thinking, that guy's kind of a showboat. <laughs> you know, like, he's, he's kind of trying to be a, a hero up there. It's like he thinks he's an excellent one or something. <laughs> Let me tell you, those kinds of thoughts were from the darkness of the pit. I resented the honor that he was getting, not because I didn't think anybody should get it, but I thought I was really at the core of it, though I could never, I wasn't at the place where I could actually say that out loud. But really, I thought, well, you know, uh, that guy should not be in that role. That was a large church. I thought, well, I wasn't thinking me, but somebody else more suitable. (sighs) Covetousness, ambition, pride. It rails against the kingdom of God. And it starts with a simple, simple judgment. I'm better than that guy. Father, put your finger 
on all the things. <sighs> I don't know what Lucifer was looking at. I don't know what he was thinking when he's thinking, like, how could you do that, right? He's there thinking, this God character who made me and gave me everything I have, I exist by the will of his presence, right? I mean, everything I have is sustained by his tiny, less, something less than his smallest fingernail. And yet, I think I'm better than him. That's what you call corruption. That's what you call twisted thinking. And you think, how could that happen right in the throne of God? How could that happen in the midst of presence? Because God is, oh, this, is this is a side note. Because God is always offering us advancement, but advancement is always predicated on diminishment. If I'm going to take you forward, I've got to reduce something in you that needs to be reduced. You know, as an athlete, we know that. It's like, it's like uh, what's that saying? You know, that saying said, said pain is just weakness leaving the body. <laughs> right? And it's an imagery, right, that, that when weakness diminishes, strength increases. And so the truth is God is saying to us, listen, I could give you more of the kingdom if we just get less of the, less of the darkness. That's why Jesus says to his disciples, be careful that the light that is in you be not darkness. Who did he say that to? Uh, John and Peter and Thomas and those guys. And they made out pretty good. Again, we, we can't be in a position where, what do you say? Don't you know I'm an excellent one? You just said it earlier. I'm, I'm called, I'm chosen, I'm pure. Getting pure. This is, this is the duality, the thing. What we're called to is not necessarily what we're walking in, but God is your biggest cheerleader. God is the one who wants this because everything else he's doing is predicated upon you becoming what he has called you to be. But Lucifer, Lucifer somehow gets it in his mind that he can be better. So listen to these words again. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Like that, that was God's seat, God's place. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Sin summarized this covetousness manifesting in idolatrous desire. Trying to be something we can never be in our own strength. Now, the, the second problem is this. Well, what if God says that I am that? What if God said, I'm calling you to be this? Well, that's great. Now you, you have your destiny in line. It's like, oh, I'm, I had a prophetic word. I'm supposed to be a global prophet. God told me I'm an apostle. God told me I'm this. Well, you know, it's that old saying. It's like if you're an apostle of the world and you've only got a, and nobody's following you, then you're just out going for a walk. In other words, you might have a destiny, but you have to actually walk in that destiny. And the proof that you're walking in that destiny is somebody other than you is saying you're that. 
I was watching a little thing on Facebook yesterday. There's this deluded woman. Uh, she uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. I, who's that guy, that doctor guy who's always saying, how's that working for you? No. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Yeah, yeah. You have to say it louder because I can't. Uh, Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? So anyways, interviewing this, this young lady, you know, who's somewhat attractive, but she starts, talk, starts talking about being a princess and, and, and this, I'm, I'm, I, have, I was busy becoming, being famous. And he says, oh, what criteria did you use to determine you were famous? Like, who, who's telling you you're famous? She says, the globe. Well, your, your Facebook following or Instagram or something like that, you have 10,000 followers. Oh, that's wrong. The, the numbers are wrong. It should be 7 billion. I didn't watch any after that. I'm thinking, where do you get that kind of twisted thinking? It's becoming rampant out there. You know why? Because the anchor to our souls, the anchor to reality, the light of the glory of Christ, which is the ultimate light of reality, is being dispensed with. And we're going into increasing confusion because in this world you could say what you are and everybody else has to do it. Everybody else has to come along. Which is, I mean, it's, it's so crazy. Yet, maybe people out there are start attacking me because of this. But, you know, I saw somebody was wearing a bracelet, and on the given day, they had a different bracelet, and people were supposed to look at their bracelet and interact with her based on what she says she was that day. Color-coded realities. And, and you must, otherwise you are dishonoring me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's unfathomable but here's the thing. God is humbling the Western world. Because we got somewhere. We became something because God made us that thing. Because we honored God. We worshiped God. We humbled, us, humbled ourselves underneath God. He began to give the, the Western civilization prosperity and power. He began to change us as individuals. He began to make stable, truth-loving, truth hard-working individuals who, uh, who honored God. And so a reality started to be shared that caused us to have an agreement. Out of that agreement, we created cultures, we created a society, we created rules for living because there's always some people who don't want those rules for living. And out of that, prosperity started to come and God blessed the West. Now the foundation of that is being lost. What is the foundation? So that's that basic light that says this is what you are and this is what you're not. As soon as you give up that, you start to lose everything. Why am I saying that? Because what God is doing with us is saying, this is what you are, and this is what you're not. This is what you are, and this is what you're not. The whole journey, if I could summarize our Christian journey, it is, it is escaping the confusion of darkness that makes me want to be something I'm not. That wants me to lie about what I am. God is just saying, listen, if I could just fix this one thing in you, everything else will start to fall into place. So for me, 
That's been the journey. I remember one time being frustrated in ministry because, like, I'm 60 years old now, but when I was 25, 26, I had all kinds of prophetic gifts. And, you know, people, especially my peers, were, were praising me and saying, oh, you're so great, you know, the amazing gifts and everything. And I think, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but then, then I tried to do that ministry, and the church wasn't responding. Church wasn't inviting me to speak at their churches. And I had a choice, either by saying, wait, wait, maybe something's wrong. Maybe, the, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not exactly what I think I am. And I started to deal with that confusion of being called to something versus that being that thing right now, that there's a difference. And the difference is manifested by what the world is saying. Are they responding to you? No, I, I am a princess. I have a billion followers. Yeah, but your Instagram says other than that. What am I? What am I right now? What, what is the metron of my authority? And, I, and I, when I summarize the whole journey, it's God aligning me not to what I was supposed to be 10 years from now or 15 years from now, but what authority do I have right now? That's the hardest thing ever because I lived in a kind of a delusion. We all live in a kind of a delusion. So when I played hockey, for example, I always thought I had a great game. Every game was great. Why? Because I only remembered the tiny slivers of the game. Right? I don't know. Maybe some of you guys are like that. But, you know, if, when I look back at that three hours of hockey, I only saw that great hit, that assist I got, and that when my coach said, a boy. But I didn't see when that guy made me look like a fool and deked me out and went in and scored the goal. I didn't see when I was, you know, missed that check. And I didn't see when I wasn't covering that guy. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, because, you know, my mind just, dismiss it. Wow, those are anomalies. Who I really am is that guy I am at the pinnacle of the game, the guy making the star play. That's, that's who I am, and that's all I saw. And as the Lord began to make that clear, I think I started to question, God, what do I see? How clearly do I see? Because it's very easy for me, and I would I'd do this. I started getting mad at the church. I thought, well, what's wrong with the church that they're not recognizing my uh, a prophetic authority? You don't have it. And see, Jesus grew in favor. He grew in favor. He, that means he had less, and then he got more. And how did he know? Because the world around him was responding to that authority. That there's always evidence... That, you know, that, 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 uh, that you are what you say you are. When Jesus ministered, you say, well, yeah, they also hated Jesus. Yeah, they hated him, but he had tens of thousands of people showing up in the wilderness when they said he was going to speak. When you announce on Facebook that you're going to speak, how many people show up? <laughs> well, I got three likes last week. It was one more than the week before. I got 14 followers on Instagram. And one day, everybody else who's deceived is going to realize who I really am. Can you sing? All my mom says I can. (laughs) See, Lucifer, Lucifer came in to a deception. 
Now, I want to narrow this really quick. I, oh, we're past 1130. Let me, let me quickly, quickly go into this. The thing I was feeling this morning as I was getting up and praying, and I've been off and on for the last few weeks, I was thinking about the definition of God. Do you know how it defines God? Do you know what God is? Other than. Mark DuPont came and he gave us this great teaching and, and I, could, I, I could read this definition here that I have. The Hebrew word is for holy is Kadesh. And it means apartedness, apartness, separateness, right? Uh, uh, sacredness, other than, really. And so uh, when God is saying, I am holy, it means there's nothing else like me. I stand uniquely alone. The Lord began to show me this. He said, Mark, it's not for you to try to be other than. The impulse to try to be other than is born of something you want to kill. And I started to see that, that sometimes there's a reluctance to be one of the bunch. There's this belief that it's, it's like, you know, when you, when you see this forest of trees and you think, oh, it's so beautiful. You know what you're not getting? You're not getting one of the trees in the forest saying, yeah, but among all these other trees, I'm the best. I mean, look how this branch moves. In the, there's no branch like this branch. That move, look at the grace of that movement. I, really, I should be set apart. I should be in a field of my own. I'm surrounded by all these other ones. And right now, you guys can't see who I am. So I'm going to try and construct a scenario where I am alone in a field so you can really see my glory. See, we don't have... Trees don't have that ambition. And they don't covet that praise. But we do. So we had this problem, and I told this story before Wendy's told it. We have a child who's taking swimming lessons. And then the swimming lessons, the teacher is saying, saying, okay, everybody, we're going to be starfish. And my child says, I don't want to be a starfish. I want to be a ballerina. <laughs> they're off doing their own thing. And, and Wendy's like, come on, just be one of the bunch. For some of us, we hide being one of the bunch. And for others, we avoid being one of the bunch because we want to be singularly praised, identified as unique and other than. I remember a scenario a few years ago when we were developing our dance team and somebody had said, you know, I'm backing out of the dance team because and this is the roundabout way what they said. is that I have a unique creativity that's being stifled by being one of the bunch. That, you know, I, I just, you guys go ahead, do that team thing. But really, and this is what they're saying, it's kind of humiliating to have to do what the leader's doing. And they're going like this. And I, but what if I feel in the spirit to do like this when they're going like this? Like, why are you stifling me? Sometimes, sometimes, and listen, we are made to be unique. But on the pathway to uniqueness is, is a, a willingness to be the same. On the pathway to being 
exactly what God has called you to do. And I, I realize this, and I've said it myself. The most mature ministries I've seen on the earth, the thing that distinguishes them is that they're different than anybody else. They have a peculiar delivery style. Like It's so great. And that is a, a manifestation of God's creativity, not theirs. Yeah. But that impulse, I just want to be different, and I hate being like everybody else. There's something in there that's suspect. But it's, it's pride. I remember when I was, I was showing a video of uh, a conference in Hong Kong, right? And if you think anybody would not want to be one of the bunch, it would be the Chinese, because it's being pushed down their throats all their life, right? Just, you know, the, the, the masses are all the same. You've got to be pawns. You're all pawns is basically where you are. And yet those are the ones. I remember watching their worship. The dance team was on the stage, and here you had 26,000 people doing everything that the band was doing. Because they hadn't, they hadn't bit into that Western thing where uniqueness and being set apart other than is the final greatest goal. Because they, they weren't allowed to be together. And say they rejoiced dancing with others and doing the same thing. I remember when I was in Air Cadets as a kid, and all my friends were just thought it's so humiliating to have to wear the same thing as somebody else. Remember you showed up at that party and that woman was wearing the same dress as you? It's like, oh, worst day of my life. Now people will know I bought this from a store. Oh, no, we thought you made it yourself. We thought it was a one-off. What is this significance that is associated with uniqueness? Is it really God's creativity coming through us, or is it a manifestation of fallenness? That's the question we need to ask, because on the way to being unique, you have to choose to be willing to be the same. You have to be one of the bunch. And there's nothing wrong with that. When I see a forest of trees moving in the wind, it's beautiful. When I see 10,000 people worshiping in the Lord, you might have somebody in there saying, I dance better than all these people, but I don't care. What's beautiful is all of you responding to the presence of God. So when Lucifer fell, when he initiated this thing called the kingdom of darkness, it was rooted in a desire to be that one thing that only God could be, which is other, other than. Father, we pray today that you would root out the need to be other than. The need to be, if everybody else is doing something, I gotta demonstrate I'm my own man. That, that spirit that comes in and says, oh, oh, you're one of those Mark protégés, eh? Or you're, or you, you know, show yourself an individual. Start breaking ranks with Mark. Because if you're not breaking ranks with Mark, then you're not really your own man. You're a slave. Oh, you're in that church. Oh, you're, oh, you're into that kind of worship. Well, unless, you're, unless you throw off the shackles of that kind of worship, you're not really your own man. And I look at the rest of the world. I look at the slavery under king principalities and powers. I've never seen so much sameness in my life as what you see in the kingdom of darkness. 
the path to real uniqueness is through humility, submission, acknowledging authority, serving, being willing to be one of the bunch. So Father, we, we wanna say, Lord, we believe in you. There is uniqueness. We believe in you. There's the ultimate expression of creativity. But it will only come as the need to be like you in our own strength, through rebellion, through pride, through arrogance, is muzzled and destroyed. Father, thank you that you have given us a destiny. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to share in the eternal riches of Christ. Thank you, God, that you've called us to be rulers, joint heirs with you, people who extend the dominion of heaven on earth. But, Father, we say, Lord, get those things out of us that keep us anchored to the earth, we pray in Jesus' name. God, may we uh, see rebellion and covetousness and pride and independence and isolation for what it truly is. It is a desire to be like Lucifer, less than a desire to be like you. Father, free us. I tell you what, we're coming into a generation where we're, we are... We are going to see things we've never seen before. We're going to see people operating in authority we've never seen before. And it's not just for those unique people. It's being offered to all. It's absolutely being offered to every one of us. So, Father, bless your name. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for the promises that hang over us. We thank you, Lord, for the excellent ones, the glorious ones, the heroes that you are crafting right now in the earth. Father, it doesn't matter who we are, doesn't matter what our inheritance is, doesn't matter what our color is, doesn't matter where our age is, you've invited us into splendor. You invite us, us into transformative power. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would make the most of the opportunities before us. Bless everyone today. As we sang earlier, the blessing, may the blessing of the Lord go with you into every generation. In Jesus' name. Thanks for being here.